Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and the meme from 2013 I most resonate with is Grumpy Cat. That mean looking Grumpy Cat who was grumpy all the time, and you just put Grumpy Cat's face on grumpy things because he was grumpy. Also, by the way, Grumpy Cat is dead now. Rest in peace, Grumpy Cat. I'm Brian Dawes, and the meme that most resonates with me is the Doge meme, because that little Shiba Inu is cute, and I love it, and one of my best friends at the time had a Shiba Inu Doge meme playmat, and it was awesome. They're one of my favorite breeds of dogs. And my name is Chris Delano, and the meme of 2013 that scarred me emotionally and mentally the most was being forced to do a Harlem Shake with the RA group that I was a part of. That video is still out there somewhere, and I don't, I don't want to know where it is. Internet cryptid. So we're talking about 2013 because we're doing something we've never done before. Uh, we're going back in time to 2013 to talk about the original Theros set. So one of the things we do with every new set and product that comes out is do a Flavor Gems episode. But here's the thing, we didn't start this podcast till right before Dominaria, which means there are 25 years of magic sets that we have not talked about. And uh, with some extra time during this set of months where we talk about Theros Beyond Death, we we have some episodes to fill, and we thought, hey, wouldn't it be neat to go back and look at the old original block and pull out the flavor gems from those episodes, or from those sets, so we could talk about the things that mattered in them, the references that were made, and uh, you can kind of, if you know, if you weren't playing then, you can see some of the stuff. If you were playing then, maybe you get some good memories. Uh, and just look at like some of the things that were maybe pulled forward into this set. Uh, so that's going to be our feature today. But before that, we have a couple pieces of news. The first is that the new signature spellbook was announced for this year. It's going to be Chandra. And they previewed uh, Chandra Torture Defiance as the Planeswalker for that product. And then one spell was previewed, and that's Past in Flames, which has art with Chandra making some fire... And then in the background is like a bunch of memories with young her and her parents and Jaya as Mother Luti. And uh, that card is sweet. It gets played in a lot of different formats. Uh, so fancy new art for that is going to be dope. I love the signature spellbook product. It's it's one of my favorite little Vorthosy things that Wizards does. So uh, look for that this year. I'm very excited to see what else is there. Give us the Liana. I am so excited for this product. I love the signature spell books. I buy both. I bought both of the previous ones. I think it's really cool that they're using Chandra Torture Defiance, despite using Jay Spellerin and Gideon Jura for the previous two. But that's because they can't use Chandra Nalar because that card sucks. That card is that card was bad. It was the far and away the worst of the original Lower One Five Planeswalker cards. Yeah, and Torture Defiance is, like, really, really good. And that card, when it came out, was, like, adequately hyped. It was one of the first times I ever saw, like, a magic card come out, and everyone was like, wow, this is really, really good. And then it actually was really, really good. Really good, yeah. I opened three of them pre-release weekend. I opened zero of them. So, uh, also announced was Secret Lair Ultimate Edition Fetchlands. This is a secret layer that's going to be purchasable in your LGSs. It's a collector set of uh, one each of the 
enemy fetch lands, so Marsh Flats, Scalding Tarnvert, and Catacombs, Arid Mesa, and Misty Rainforest. They each have a new piece of art on them, which is a, a reference to uh, a different plane in the multiverse. So Marsh Flats has a flowering Lorwyn Swamp Plains. Scalding Tarn has a fiery, steamy pool on uh, Shiv on Dominaria. The original volcanic island. Verdant Catacombs has a dreary forest cemetery with a little gravestone with an angel and thing uh, on Innistrad. Arid Mesa is a sun-baked desert on Amonkhet featuring some of the pre-Bolas ruins. And Misty Rainforest is set in the jungles of Ixalan where you can very clearly see a jade statue put there by the merfolk. These are really neat. They're really expensive. Yeah, it's also really interesting that um, the kind of way that they're marketing it is that the Ultimate Edition case itself is built to be a display case for five different cards. So you can kind of pick your favorite five cards after you take these fetches out and throw them into your modern deck or your commander deck and display five of your favorite cards, part, probably part of a cycle, because that's what we do. There are cycles in Magic. Yeah, they keep doing these cycles of five cards for some reason. Don't tell Carrie. <laughs> um, <laughs> our final piece of news is that um, Ikoria's preview season has been pushed back a little bit. It's going to start on April 2nd. Uh, but because of the delay, Mark Rosewater, Mark Rosewater has done a thing that he has not done in a long time. And that is release a list of teases for things that are going to be in the set without really explaining what they are. So we're not going to talk in depth. Um, I don't, I don't want to talk about this much at all. We'll talk about Ikoria when we get to Ikoria. But I do want to read the list because I want people to start speculating. And uh, Ikoria is one of the sets I wrote for. Uh, so I know what most of these things are. And uh, I want people to think about them because they're great. So Mark says the following can be found in Ikoria. Magic's seventh egg. A card with the text four or more times this game. A card with the text total power 10 or less. Magic's largest power toughness granting aura. A card with the text X is the number of times this creature has mutated. Magic's third and fourth card with zero is even reminder text. Three cards with the text different names. 12 different types of counters, which I think he amended to 13 because he forgot planeswalkers have loyalty counters. A card that says choose a kind of counter at random. A card with the text remove eight foreshadow counters. I really like that card. You will see it. Uh, and a cycle that players have been asking us to make for over 10 years. Then he says, in addition, Okoria has creatures with the following creature types. And he stipulated that this was not a hint about changelings. There were no changelings in the set. These are actual printed creature types. So we have... Dinosaur Turtle, Shark Beast, Demon Kraken, Elemental Otter, Brushwag, and Hellion Horror, and Nightmare Squirrel. Nightmare Squirrel! I'm just so glad that we're going to have Brushwags again. I lost my mind a little bit when I learned about the Brushwag. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we get to Ikoria. So right now, just be mystified in wonder and amazement 
because this set, Ikora is ridiculous, and I'm, I, I can't wait to talk about it, but that's not going to be now, because we are going to move on to our feature, the Flavor Gems of OG Theros. And we're going to start by talking about uh, the legendary characters from this block. So that includes the three planeswalkers. Uh, I'm sorry, not the block, the set. Next week, we're going to do Born of the Gods and Journey to Nyx. Today is just the set, Theros. Uh, so we're going to talk about three planeswalkers, the five gods, and then a, a handful of other legendary creatures first. Yeah, so we had three different planeswalkers, and the first one was Elspeth, Sun's champion. And I feel like Brian has a lot of thoughts about Elspeth. <sighs> Elspeth, Elspeth, Elspeth. Even though the betrayal doesn't happen in this story, the story of this set, Elspeth just can't catch a break. She planeswalks to Theros, escaping the hinted at demise of a Koth of the Hammer, though not really. He He's still fighting on Mirrodin, as as you do. Um, but she just wanted peace. She, she just wanted to relax and chill out, and Theros seemed happy enough. But uh, she's always called to do the right thing. Um, so in the story of this set, she is basically in, was it, oh, Melitus? It's, yes, Melitus. And Polucranos is loose, and she is granted Heliod's favor after slaying uh, Polucranos, and um, who is loose out of Nyx for some reason. Yeah, it's just the one set. There's not a lot to, like, she just slays Polucranos and becomes the Sun's champion against God's end. That's basically it. Yeah, because I didn't want to jump into the next set story, and it was just like... Yeah. I, I couldn't remember where it ended, because I know she kills Daxos, but I can't remember if that was at the beginning of the next uh, set. Yeah, that's in the next was... set. Okay, yeah, so we'll just ignore that. Daxos lives. The first time. So, yeah, a thing that they did with Theros, which they don't do anymore because they don't have, like, three set blocks, is that... It's a top-down set, and so the first set of this block is really just spent doing world building. Yeah, establishing the set. There's like three actual story points that happen in this set, and one of them is just Elspeth shows up, basically. And so that's her card. She shows up and she defeats Pelucranos. I remember when this set came out, I was kind of wondering if she was supposed to be the Hercules uh, analog for the set, even though everyone feels like that should have been Gideon, and it's kind of a shame that we never got to see him actually on Theros outside of his origins story. We see him again um, on Theros, he's just dead. Yeah. Doesn't count. There's a statue and everything. Oh boy. Yeah, so like, it, it was definitely one of those things because there are a lot of people hinting that maybe uh, he was the the thing that made Heliod a, a, a Zeus analog to where he was a demigod because of supernatural birth. But uh, that's not the case. That's all magic origin stuff. That's not going to be printed for like another three years. Three years? Two years? Two years. Our next card is Xenagos the Reveler. He is another planeswalker, obviously, who originally was just... Chilling out, partying on Theros, but he uh, he wanted to do a little bit of ascending. 
he he knew the secret of the gods that they were reliant on worship of the mortals of Theros to ascend into godhood, and he won a little bit of that for himself. So he threw this awesome party um, to ascend, even though that's really shown in the next set. But uh, mm-hmm. again, a story point that's not made in the first set of the block. Yeah. Uh, that that's part of the wonders of the three block set or three set block rather, um, but yeah, it, it's just establishing him as a character, and he makes satyrs because satyrs like to party, and he is a satyr himself. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty much all we know about Xenagos at the beginning is that he's disillusioned with the deities of his world because he's been off Theros and seen that they have no power, and has learned that they are actually powered by the people and not divine beings who are like omnipotent or anything uh so so he's kind of doing the hey everything here is kind of bs and i'm gonna prove it by becoming a god myself but he wasn't the original villain of theros that title goes to ashiok who was designed as a dark jace and was going to uh, have a whole plot about putting Theros uh, underneath a nightmarish sleep and feeding on their nightmares and stuff. Um, that was kind of the original plot that uh, Brady Dummermuth was working with before uh, he left Wizards of the Coasts. There are elements to that. Um, I Some of them definitely got into the IDW comics, but um, otherwise Ashiak is just kind of this mysterious character who appears for the first time. Obviously, Ashiok does some more stuff in Theros Beyond Death and actually has an input in that set. And, and uh, you know, we talked about the, the creation of Shadow Spear and the Torment of Elspeth and such. Ashiok was just kind of this obscenely powerful limited card that had, like, a handful of art, too. And and card mentions, I think, like, more than Xanagos? I, I haven't mm-hmm. done an exact count, but, like... Ashiok's presence in these uh, sets is about the same as Xenagos's, to put in perspective of, like, the weirdness of their villainy sharing, even though Ashiok doesn't actually get to do the villainy this time. So Ashiok, no shade to Xenagos, is just the more interesting villain and more interesting character in the story, in my opinion. Xenagos's card is also way less interesting than Ashiok's. Ashiok's card does this really interesting interaction with the opponent's deck where they exile cards off the top and then pull creatures from those cards, sort of telling the story of someone delving into your dreams and taking your dreams out of your own head and manifesting them, which is a really cool thought. Okay, but in Xenagos's card's defense, using him in a token commander deck to add like 20 mana to your mana pool rocks that is like feel so that, good that is rocking hard you just like dump all that mana into like making even more tokens with your ulasht because that's he's in my ulash deck he he is one of the mana engine cards in that deck and it's ridiculous yeah he's in my marath deck it, it's it's stupid good yeah <laughs> All three of these Planeswalkers are actually really good cards. No, uh, Elspeth Sun's Champion is one of the few Planeswalker cards where I'm like, yes, play this in Commander. Plussing, plussing to make three tokens is good, and being able to even just be a six-mana Wrath for the stuff you care about, usually, 
um, is excellent. Um, and and the emblem just wins games. I'm less about Ashiok in Commander. Like you have to have a plus and then stick around for a minus to really do anything. But you know whatever. Anyway, but we're not that kind of podcast. Even though we just were for a little. Uh, we also get introduced to the five major gods: the uh, Heliod, Thassa, Erebos, Perforos, and Nylia. They are the main deities of this pantheon. They are, like, I hesitate to say more powerful than the minor gods, because I don't, I don't think that's true. They have broader domains, so they have more worshippers, uh, which I, uh, they have more influence. Uh, raw power is, is not the metric I, I would use, uh, but they have more influence than the minor gods. Um, so each of them, because Theros was a top-down set, so a ton of cards in this set and thematic elements are analogs directly to Greek mythology, and and these five gods are as well. Heliod as god of the sun is a parallel to Helios, who I believe was a titan. Um, name isn't even that different. It's weird because Heliod, or Heliod has a weird kind of duality as far as his inspiration, because like, Helios was the god of the sun in Greek mythology, but he he's really modeled a lot after Zeus. Really only in the King of the Gods sentiment, though. Well, his his weapon and how it's used as well. Um, well, Zeus's weapon is a lightning bolt, which belongs to Karanos. Yeah, but uh, what I'm saying is how it's depicted in some, like, some of the flavor text depicts it as him throwing his spear or and smiting cities across the plane, yeah. but that's... That's also just a lot of Greek gods. Uh, they were, they were terrible sure. people. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Thassa is a pretty direct um, uh, Poseidon, Poseidon analog. Uh, she even has a Bident to matches Trident to keep that kind of visual analog. Erebos is the Hades component, except like way more evil than the actual Hades. Hades was actually kind of a chill guy. Uh, he was mostly just grumpy because he lost a game of chance on which domains he and his two brothers got and Zeus won and Poseidon got the sea and Hades got stuck down in the underworld and was salty about it um but otherwise is like mostly kind of an okay dude Perforos is based on Hephaestus the uh the the smith of the gods who who works on uh a lot of the gods weapons and and some of gifted weapons in Greek mythology to the heroes. Uh, and then we have Nylia, who's based on Artemis, the the hunter in, in the wilds, in the woods, and Archer uh, in, in both mythology and in the reference. So that's their basic overall influence. Our next card is Hythonia the Cruel, um, which is our legendary Medusa analog. Um, we don't actually know a whole lot about her um, as far because she doesn't really have an, any kind of impact in the story. So we just have her card to go off of. But, uh, you know, she has a lot of statues in her art, which, you know, and her card, in addition to having Death Touch, she can destroy all non-Gorgons on the field. So it's pretty clear she's meant to be the strongest of the Gorgons. Yeah, a lot of these legends are just kind of like characters um, that exist as like heroic archetypes of things referenced in Greek mythology. So like, um, so while Hythonia is like more of a direct reference to Medusa, we have Anthusa, a Tessan hero. 
So Tessa in general is pretty influenced by the Amazons. It's a sylvan polis filled with uh, mostly women and children, uh, but they're all really buff women. It's great. And they are fierce warriors. And Anthusa is kind of uh, a renowned hero among that culture. So she she represents that trope. So, uh, you know, things in the line of Xena and Wonder Woman, those types of figures are all kind of the same character archetype of, of the heroic Amazon. Um, our next card is Pelucranos, World Eater. Um, that card was insane and standard, um, but it is your generic uh, Hydra analog, and it is the one that uh, Elspeth kills to gain favor of the gods, or of Helia specifically, um, while the gods are trapped beyond the mortal, pl- mortal gate, or not mortal gate, I'm thinking uh, D&D. Uh, <laughs> when uh, Krufix calls a silence and forces the gods to stay in Nyx. So yeah, it, it is what elevates Elspeth in the eyes of the gods, or brings her to their attention. I was kind of amused because this is the same moment in the Disney Hercules movie. Uh, they use the Hydra the same way. It's like, this is this is the thing that catapults Hercules to, to stardom. God, I can't believe Disney would rip off magic like that. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, A whole ten years earlier. And so uh, Elspeth defeats um, Pelucranos using... Uh, with a method of not chopping all the way through his heads, uh, thought up by uh, her friend and then lover Daxos of uh, Melodus, who has a card in the set. He is uh, a renowned oracle in that he can see messages from all the gods, although he is favored by Heliod and does most of uh, Heliod's... (laughs) I want to say bidding, and that's just the correct word. Daxos doesn't do a whole lot uh, in in this first part of the story. He meets Elspeth, they fight um, Polychronos, and then they go off on their travels. Uh, We also have a card for Menemai the Ageless, who is a Sphinx. He doesn't really appear in much of anything, but uh, we wanted to talk about him briefly in this episode because of the card Menemai's Prophecy in Theros Beyond Death. Um... That card only exists to reference the only thing we knew about Metamai, which I believe was in the um, Planeswalker's Guide. No one knows how old Metamai is. He's just kind of always been around, and he only shows up uh, generally to portend disaster. So um, he will give cryptic hints about the future and then just kind of leave. And nobody knows where he goes or when he'll come again. Uh, but he's just kind of this mysterious sphinx that always knows what's going to happen. Yeah, it's pretty wild that we got Metamized Prophecy like a couple of months ago. And now look at the world. Uh... Anyways, our next card, um, if you're done talking about Metamai Lorelai. I sure am. <laughs> is Timurat the Murder King. Uh, so Timurat the Murder King is one of my favorite little characters from Theros. He He got like no story in Theros much like a lot of the other legendary characters. But what we do know about him is that he leads the Returned in Odunos, which is the other necropolis, or necropolis, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, from Asphodel. And if you listen to our D&D episodes, the Returned of Asphodel were being led by a fake queen in my story. And in the actual Theros story, 
we don't really know a lot about the returned structure of life because they don't really have identities that much. But Timoret has an identity, and his identity is that he likes to kill people. He's real big about murder. They call him the Murder King. That that's that's pretty much all we know about Timoret. Um, he becomes a champion of Erebos in Theros Beyond Death, and goes from being red black to mono black, and that's pretty much all we know about him at this point as well. He just kind of went from being the murder king to being the demigod of Erebos. But uh, the next character or next legendary creature is the triad of fates. So it's really three creatures. And this card is also really interesting because of some of the updates about Theros we got in Theros Beyond Death. Uh, in, in original Theros block, fate is really a black-white domain. And then in Theros Beyond Death, we got Clothus, who is the goddess of destiny, or god of destiny. And Clothus... Please, it's Clothus. Clothus. Ugh. I'm pulling a J this week, because J's not here. I have to mispronounce everything. But <laughs> Clothus is the god of destiny, which is different from fate. And James Wyatt really went through what those differences are and why they sort of fit into black white versus red green in our interview episode so i'm just going to reference a bunch of old episodes and tell you to go listen to them because i think they're really interesting uh the triads of fate are or the triad of fates is kind of an analog to the fates that we see in greek mythology with the sort of cutting of the thread and things like that and also they are the only other card in magic to use fate counters than uh, oblivion stone just a little interesting note there. So the last legends are Anax and Siamede. They are a married couple, a king and queen of Akros, the Sparta analog polis. They don't do a whole lot in this set. Um, their card is here, but their story is really in the next set when um, there's a battle with Minotaurs and Anax does some fighting against the head Minotaur and Siamede gets taken up uh, by Karanos. Uh, in exchange for unleashing this huge flood that wipes out most of the Minotaur horde. Uh, so they're, they're not really that important here, um, but because of the way the block structure is set up and the way the story is printed, their event happens a little later. Then obviously Annex comes back as a demigod as well. So we're not going to talk about all the god weapons. They are also legendary cards, but they're not characters. Uh, but there are two that are very important to look back at, and that is the Spear of Heliod. Uh, so the spear is called Crusor, and this is the object that Shadow Spear mimics. So Crusor is Heliod's spear and is a sign of his divine might. It's the object that the wicked fear that he has used to smite entire cities, uh, that he uses to bless his champions. Uh, the spearhead is a symbol that becomes used on... Um, so if you look at the original cleric token art from the set, uh, they use that spear, spearhead iconography. Elspeth obviously gets Shadow Spear, which is a nightmare twin of Crusor, and convinces people that Crusor is the fake spear, and the power of belief on Theros destroys it. So uh, it being a card in the set becomes way more important in Theros Beyond Death. It's also the item that Gideon who was known as Kithian at the time, uh, he used Crusor or Heliod, or Heliod armed Gideon or Kithian with 
Crusor, and Kithian threw it at the uh, Titan of Erebos. Wait, he smote the Titan. the Titan. Threw it. He smote the Titan, and then he tried to throw it at Erebos. Yeah. And Erebos's whip uh, redirected it back at his friends, and that's what caused Kithian to spark and Planeswalk to Bant. So I don't remember that that was exactly Crusor, but regardless, it was a, a gift of a light sunlight spear like it um it's heliot's thing uh there's also thassa's bident the kello which gets stolen by kiora shortly before the battle for zendikar and kiora takes it off plane to use to fight the eldrazi and uh it's still in her possession and uh yeah now thassa has a new weapon and i just love that moment so much she has a mono dent now and if someone steals the mono dent she's just gonna have a stick so, so Jay, who's the greatest uh, thief in the multiverse? Oh, sorry. Never mind. He's not here. Jay's dead. Continuing on. <laughs> he locked in my basement. Oh, sorry. No. Jay's not dead. Dak is dead. Just a reminder to everyone. Uh, Dak Faden, dead. 100% murdered. Well, if your favorite character dies in the game, don't you die in real life? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, okay. I hope not, too. So that's all the legends we're going to talk about. Uh, our next section is all about the cards that are specific references to things in Greek mythology. The the top the top down designs that do fun little things. We're going to start that off with Chain to the Rocks. So Theros came out, and I know I'm like a little tiny tangent here. Uh, we had Innistrad Block and then Return to Ravnica and then Theros. And Innistrad Block was one of the first major top-down designs that they'd done. And then Return to Ravnica was not a top-down design at all. It was bottom-up entirely. And then Theros was top-down again. And so it was really cool to come back after a little break and see how top-down is explored again. And Chain to the Rocks was one of the first cards that I really resonated with in this set because I immediately saw it. And the whole story of Prometheus is really on that card. You have, well, most of the story of Prometheus. You have a person being punished by being chained to a rock, which is what happens to Prometheus. The enchantment has to enchant a mountain that you control, sort of giving you the idea of the fire and also the rock itself. And it exiles a creature as long as it's in play, sort of doing the punishment type mechanic that White has. And I thought that that was just a really cool top-down design. Our next card is the Hundred-Handed One. It is actually inspired by Greek myth, um, where there were actually hundred-handed ones um, that were the son of uh, Uranus, or is it Uranus? Uh, no, it was Uranus in, in the Greek. Uranus and Gaia, and... Um, they had 50 heads as well in the Greek myth, but I think the ones on Theros only had one head, but still. 100 hands is pretty impressive, and I love the flavor of you ultimate, or you monstrous, not ultimate, Jesus. Um, and you get, you're able to block 99 additional creatures, which is hilarious, because there are a lot of creatures that can block any number of creatures, or there are creatures that can block any number of creatures or things of that nature, but... It's cool that they did exactly 100, so that was pretty cool. So next up is Ordeal of Heliod. There, there's, there's a cycle of Ordeal cards, but this is the one that counts. Uh, this one, uh, very specifically, uh, the art is referencing uh, Theseus slaying the Minotaur in the Labyrinth. That's from the myth of Theseus slaying the Minotaur in the Labyrinth. 
<laughs> which <laughs> is basically all I have to say about this card. But this is like a very specific art reference and uh, to, to a moment. Yeah, we don't really talk about Minotaurs at all in this set. I don't think they're very important until the next one. But there are Minotaurs on Theros. That's a thing. Uh, the next card we want to talk about is one that is another favorite of mine, Breaching Hippocamp. Uh, hippocamps are actually, or hippocampus, depending on who you're talking to, are actual mythological creatures shared in sort of this region of the world. They're in Roman myths and Greek myths and Phoenicians, etc. Uh, they're literally seahorses. There are horses with the body of a horse, head of a horse, and the tail of a fish. Uh, I like the Breaching Hippocamp from Theros because it is the first ever horse fish in Magic. There's two more, but there's this was the first. Isn't the Hippocampus where med students go to college? <sighs> and hey, don't on. make that noise for my good friends. <laughs> That's me. Um, the the next card is Voyage's End, which was a really stellar card in draft and in, even in standard, but it is a simple bounce spell where you scry, but the cool thing about it is it literally shows the edge of the world on Theros. So it is actual proof from the very first set that the world is flat. I'm a flat Theroser. I believe that Theros is a flat plane. You can go right oh, off the boy. edge. I really hope on Theros there are conspiracy theorists who believe that the world is round and everyone is lying about the flat earth thing. <laughs> like, I, you know what? So do I. That would be amazing. I want this now more than anything. But anywho, our next card... Oh, go ahead. What's on the other side? There's got to be something on the other side. Just watch the way the birds fly. <laughs> There's probably birds aren't real conspiracy theorists on Theros, too. Oh, boy. And we jumped the shark. Or the lion. Uh, our next card is Fleece Mane Lion. What a smooth um, segue. Hush <laughs> you. <laughs> I had a smoother segue, but uh, it got eaten by the Fleece Mane Lion. Our next card is Fleece Mane Lion. Um, it mixes the... Golden Fleece and the Nemean Lion from uh, the Greek mythology. Nemean Lion is one of the uh, monsters that uh, Hercules slew as one of his labors. And the Golden Fleece is the uh, one of the objectives of the, uh, of the Odyssey. Uh, the Argonauts. Um, the Argonauts, yeah. Um, so it, it's really cool and... It's funny because the Nemean lion was impenetrable, um, and the Fleecebane lion's ability, or yeah, when it when it um, goes monstrous, it becomes hexproof and indestructible, and it uh, marries that those two things, uh, making it impenetrable. So our next card is the Akron horse, which is a straight ripoff of the Trojan horse. And it's hilarious. Um, so basically, in Greek like mythology, not sure if this actually happened. It would be really cool if it actually happened, but I doubt it happened. Scholars debate whether or not the Iliad is based on an actual war that actually happened. Yeah. Uh, so basically, um, they built this huge horse and put it out in front of the city of troy 
um, and um, everybody got into it, and they opened up the gates, brought it inside, and at nightfall, um, everybody snuck out and started killing everybody, and it was military strategy at its finest. Um, you see it almost get replicated in the uh, Monty Python, but uh, they forget a crucial part of that uh, that plan. So, I always love references to the Trojan horse, and because it's a funny military strategy that you really wouldn't think that it should work, but the fact that it could work is hilarious to me. Yeah, the card plays out very similar to that, where when you play the Acroan horse, it's gifted to another player at the table, and then each opponent starts getting tokens at their end step uh, to sort of give the idea of sneaking a bunch of creatures in past the guard. Uh, the It's a really flavorful play style to the card as well. It's great. Uh, the next cards are, we're just going to kind of go through a couple of these. Uh, Colossus of Akros, which is a reference to the Colossus of Rhodes, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It is a giant statue. And that's pretty much it. In Magic, it can become monstrous and is giant 2020 power and toughness monster. Uh, we also have Fleet Feather Sandals, which is equipment that is supposed to reference Hermes, who was sort of the messenger of the gods and allows your creature to fly. Curse of the Swine is a reference to the Odyssey. The I don't actually remember what the island is called, but it has a sorceress on it named Circe, and she turns the entire crew into pigs, and some of them get eat it. Uh, so Curse of the Swine is is a polymorph spell that turns things into boar tokens to reference that. Because we have boar tokens, but not pig tokens. The next card is Rescue from the Underworld, which has, it's a really weird spell in the way that it functions. You pretty much have to send a creature to your graveyard to get another creature out with it. And it is a top-down design of the myth of Orthea, Orpheus and Eurydice, which is just one of my favorite Greek myths. And it uh, doesn't fail if the other creature looks back. It's a foolproof plan this time. Um, so we talked about Prometheus earlier. There's also a card that kind of represents a generic Prometheus, Titan of Eternal Fire. This is a giant who lets your humans tap to deal damage to things. So it literally gives your human creatures the power to shoot fire, which is awesome. Uh, also note that Titan is not like the Titan Titans that we now have at Theros Beyond Death. Uh, Titan is also kind of coll colloquially used for... Uh, some of the larger giants uh, on Theros, they're kind of elemental beings and descendants of the original Titans. So some of them just carry that name. Uh, we have the Pyxis of Pandemonium, which is a reference to Pandora's box, an object that held all the evils in the world and hope. And Pandora was told not to open it. And Epimetheus, Prometheus's brother, who is the Titan of Hindsight, who's always doing things badly and then looking back and realizing that he screwed something up, was supposed to tell her not to open it, and then she opened it, and then, like this card hat does, when you sacrifice it, all of this stuff just pops into existence all at once. It's very big and exciting. Uh, then we have Witch's Eye, which is a reference to the Stygian Witches, a, a group of three witches that shared a single eye. Uh, they're part of the Perseus myth, and you can see them represented in uh, the Clash of the Titans movies, which are tell that mythological story where uh, Perseus convinces them to 
help him by stealing their eye and not giving it back until they tell him what he wants, basically. Uh, he bullied them pretty hard, which is kind of mean. But most Greek <laughs> heroes are actually kind of jerks. Yeah, and then Perseus went off to be a jerk and killed that poor defenseless Minotaur. Hey, that's oh. better than Heracles, who literally murdered his family. Didn't Perseus also kill Medusa? Yes. God, Perseus was a jerk. I don't like Perseus. <laughs> also killed a sea uh, monster. <laughs> what a lousy loser. All right. Um, he also <laughs> blinded that Cyclops, too. You know what? We are an anti-Perseus podcast now. <laughs> that was Odysseus. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm sorry. My bad. That, 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 yeah, that was uh, Polyphemus. Still anti-Perseus. Uh, the next card to talk about is a personal favorite, Guardians of Meletus. It was a three-mana common 0-6 artifact creature with Defender, and it has really great flavor text. Uh, the histories speak of two feuding rulers whose deaths were celebrated and whose monuments symbolized the end of their wars. In truth, they were peaceful lovers, their story lost to the ages. So we get kind of an update about these characters in Commander, where we had the Kyneos and Tiro card. And Kyneos and Tiro were lovers who helped liberate Meletus and pretty much freed everyone there from this horrible rule of this Archon. And then history kind of forgot them. And now they're treated and believed to be these like feuding rulers when in reality they were lovers who saved everybody. So yeah, that's uh that's what history does to, to gay people. It's not good. On Theros, of course. That's what I meant. And then we have one more card before we sort of talk about some other things. Our, the last card is Temple of Abandon, which uh, is referencing the Temple of Clothis, uh, which who, who has technically abandoned her place on the mortal world, even though we, wouldn't, we as the players in 2013 didn't know that. It was just an abandoned temple um, for a god who was not remembered. Um, so Xenagos took over. All right. Uh, and that covers all the, the kind of general specific cards. Um, I, we did want to mention uh, a couple of new things that Theros kind of did. And uh, it did three kind of interesting things. Uh, the first was bring some of the story back onto cards, which uh, show up in this specific set with God's Willing, where Elspeth offers up her sword to Heliod and who transforms God's end into the spear that you see and vanquish the foul, which shows Elspeth fighting um, Pelucranos and slaying the Hydra. Uh, there was also a promotional event called the hero's path where uh, at the pre-release, the launch party and game day all had little uh, heroic quests quests for you to do. And you would get, uh, specific, they were like emblem type cards uh, that helped you in the final challenge for this little thing called Face the Hydra. So you, it was like a self-piloting deck. Um, if you've ever played Horde Magic, it's kind of like that, where, where the deck itself has rules um, that you can just kind of negotiate yourself. And if you beat it, you get one of these cards. Uh, and they were like broken up between the five colors uh, this was 
affected by the pre-release. They, it, it was neat. I still have all my cards from that. Uh, but all the art for that was done by Chuck Lucas, who was brought back for the Planeswalker um, showcase styles in Theros Beyond Death. So the statues of Ashiok Elspeth and Calyx were all done uh, in, in the same artistic style that Chuck Lucas did for these cards. Uh, and, and those were just cool, like, flavorful moments that kind of extended beyond just playing Magic at your LGS. Um, I kind of miss those. Uh, they're what got me into playing Standard for a couple years. So uh, we liked those. I liked those, at least. Um yeah, so that's the original Theros set. Uh, did a lot of really cool things, and uh, this was our kind of look back at that. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. So who's got final thoughts? Because I have a final thought. I think your and I's final thoughts are going to be very similar. Brian, do you have a final thought? My final thought is um, that working from home is uh, super weird after not having done it in several years i'm just like not ready for it uh, i'm like just not ready so my final thought and lorelei you can chime in is that uh animal crossing comes out literally tonight as of the night of this recording and animal crossing new horizons on switch which i have never played an animal crossing and i have decided that i need to get out and see my friends but i i'm gonna do that digitally in the the world where we're all a bunch of fun-looking villagers and we have animal friends. I'm naming my island God's Fart. I'm doing it. <laughs> oh yeah, I told you to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm very good at words and making up words for things. I do this professionally. Anyway, as of this moment, three hours and 34 minutes until Animal Crossing and I'm so excited. It's my only final thought. And if you're excited, you should head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast where you can help support us with your monies and keep the show running because we do this every week and it takes a lot to run. And so, uh, you know, we, we can't do this without your help. And we super appreciate all our patrons because, like, the show doesn't exist without y'all. And, and, and we love you. Uh, but everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses around the world are playing Animal Crossing. Who cares about magic right now? I probably shouldn't say that on our <laughs> magic podcast. Uh, actually, there's very cool things happening for magic soon, because Akoria soon. But uh, no, we are like all... So many of us are gearing up for Animal Crossing. And like... Yeah, it's good. Um, <laughs> the Discord is a lot of fun. Uh, we have a nice little community. Everyone is awesome. And you should come join us and hang out and talk about dorky things. And, um, yeah, do it. Do it. What was that, the Starsky and Hutch movie remake with uh, Ben Stiller? Do it. I think oh, so. Oh, God. I don't know why that's a reference that just happened, but, you know, if you stuck around this song, uh, you know, you get that. <laughs> okay. I think this is a good indicator <laughs> of the time to wrap this up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Forthos Cast. <laughs>